0: In that state, there is no air or water, no creation or creator. There is no bud or flower, no fetus or semen. There is no education or Vedas, and no word or taste. There is no body or settlement, and no earth, air, or space. There is no guru or disciple, and no easy or difficult path. This state is very strange. I cannot explain it. It has no village or resting place. This state is without qualities. What name can we give it? This state where we embrace the void.
1: I find this void quite calming, actually. It's like, this time, the Xanax took me. Your sense of self is crumbling, and it's taking the void down with it.
0: It's like... I'm in a black void, trying to reach the news story.
1: This concept of morality is a very interesting human characteristic. What is real? How do you define real? If you're
0: talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see. Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 127 of Embrace the Void, where it's dark as a Scandinavian winter. I'm your host, Aaron, and this week I've got a fun chat with a friend of the show who got in touch to talk about the philosophy of death metal and his work on environmental harm assessment. So let's hit the foggers and cue the sound effects. My guest this week is Jesse McWilliams, an emergency manager for a state environmental agency uh, and a published author in the philosophy of metal. Jesse, would you like to say hi to The Void?
1: Hello, Void. It's nice to talk to you.
0: Yeah, thanks. You reached out to um, see about coming on the show because... Um, you had heard, I guess previously, our discussions about both sort of impending crises and um, metal. So it was a good confluence in a variety of ways. Um, so so uh, before we talk about the environmental crisis stuff that I want to kind of focus on for this episode, I do think it'd be fun at least to warm up with a little bit of random side fascination. So tell me how you got into
1: philosophy of black metal. So, Black metal theory was just a really obscure philosophical branch of uh, maybe existential philosophy, existentialism. Uh, I I guess there's some people that might still be writing in that field today, but the publications were really limited. And so what I did in my um, papers was I really tried to consolidate a lot of that work, um, Mm -hmm. summarizing it. And so I wrote the first paper as um, as a graduate student, uh, and that one was oh I can't remember like 2011, and that it was right around it was right when Mayhem was releasing their first album in quite some time, the um, Norwegian metal band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're if you're really very familiar with black metal bands.
0: No, and I was I was gonna ask if you could maybe even back up a little bit and give us a little like what is black metal that's different from other metals. I would say like the most metal that I listen to is System of a Down, and I realize that to some that probably is not very metal at all.
1: Yeah, I would I would say that's not really metal. Not yeah, to okay. not to um not to it's, it's okay. I don't take it personally uh, or anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really trying to criticize your perception of it and i can say i can see how like to most people that don't really get into the i guess i don't want to say underground but just more obscure music i mean there's just a whole world out there of music that if you really dive into a genre with great depth you Mm -hmm. will find you know thousands and thousands and thousands of out you know acts and outputs and bands and that you can there's just so much to listen to, so you can really find things that you're into, but mm-hmm. nobody else will ever be into it. And mm-hmm. so, with black metal, particularly, it's somewhat of an isolationist uh, philosophy. Um, I don't know why I got into it. It's, uh, it was around my early college years that I started listening to it, and um, you know, there's a lot of controversy surrounding black metal and its history and it the philosophies that are associated with it. Um but black metal theory was really kind of just um, looking at b- very much that question, what is black metal? how what how do we define this genre um, it's a it's a really diverse genre and differentiating it from the other subgenres is difficult. Um, I, and I realize that this is a problem for all art and right. really, comes down to a problem that I tried to then go into in some of my, in my second work and on black metal theory more is like the whole issue of um, definition uh, and mm-hmm. the, the problem ontological problems and, and how these relate to the environment, right? How, how some, someone without agency, mm-hmm. right. Can act. What, what, what do we do? because we can't do anything in a sense we've been we've been immo we've been ah, what's the word i'm looking for immobilized Uh uh-huh uh in a sense we've had our agency taken away right there's nothing there's nothing left for us to do um Mm -hmm. we can only dance at the strings of our puppets so uh you know let's i guess let's back up black metal yeah. started and are, are there, it's, it's, it's are there it's some debatable. paragon
0: bands that you could point to for example that might help people even if, if it's hard to like distinguish in terms of essential features can
1: we okay can we get well, a
0: cluster I'll... of black metal bands here
1: let me let me focus my discussion and go on to history of black metal all right so okay. we have venom of i think they were a swedish band in the 80s and they were coined the term black metal in one of their albums but they i would argue that they are not the originators of the genre they coined the term but um if you read like some of the literature on it black metal really i think can be most said to begin with the death of dead now dead was the one of the front acts for mayhem in the early era of black metal mm-hmm. um this would be in like 92 and 93 Ninety four. This time period. His names so are hilarious. By the way, just,
0: I, I like that they started off very basic uh, at the beginning, right? It's just death, right? And now yeah. it's like you got to have a really
1: like sub niche version of death. Um, y- yeah, you do. So, so okay, and and well, I need to clarify this some more. So, Dead was the leads was the frontman for a while, not even very mm-hmm. long. There's not a single. I don't. I don't think there's album recording with him on it there's only if you were to try to find it the bootleg of their live performance dawn of the black hearts which the album cover for that um trigger trigger warnings by all means uh Mm -hmm. but uh the album so he committed suicide and he uh basically took a gun to his head he after he cut his wrists then he took a gun to his head um and then The One of the other members of the band uh, apparently decided to take photographs of his body, you know, once he alerted the Norwegian authorities or whatever. And and so then that appeared on the bootleg album and the band, you know, certain members of the band, you can understand how there were very, very mixed emotions Mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. amongst the members and and so the the there's many other controversial things that go along with it in the 90s and one of the things i try to do is differentiate the art from its history right so we it, it's kind of it's kind of problematic to go into the history i realize we need to to explain the art mm-hmm. but it's kind of problematic when we go into the history because now we've already started talking about suicide and um there's murder and well is all that, that consistent stuff.
0: with the philosophy behind um black metal Mm. my other main question in all of this by the way while you're pondering that is why Norway it's always is it because it's so dark and cold for so many months out of the year or like what is driving um the Scandinavian obsession with
1: really hard metal as far as I can tell so I think the reason you have a lot of artistic output from Norway is because they have a really really good social welfare system Okay. You can you can be there's a lot of time to be miserable because you Yeah, covered. you can you can have you can not work, you can be totally destitute. In America you would be you would be I mean you'd be hopeless. And in Norway you can live a pretty comfortable life without having to work or anything. Um this is of course my understanding. I've never been there. I've uh-huh. read up on it some and uh but you know, like men, several of the bands in their accounts of the members of the of the band in their account of the history. Mm -hmm. will tell you that, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't have jobs or money was always really, really tight. And so, you know, in America, if you don't have money to push your commercial stuff, um, it's just not really going to go very far. And in in Norway, I guess there's, you you have more liberty, right? You Mm -hmm. don't have to go slave away at your 60 hours a week at your minimum wage job, and then try to have a band on top of that, or then try to have your music output on top of that. Right. And so, I and think okay, that a lot of right. that is just the the people have more free time. Um, I'm not sure that
0: necessarily uh, explains why death metal, though, as opposed to yeah. other other musical stylings, I guess. Is... And, well,
1: and and specifically black metal. So uh, yeah. to distinguish it as different from death metal.
0: Okay. Uh-huh.
1: Um, maybe we should turn more to the art itself a little bit. The death metal is, I guess, characterized by you know the fast, hard, heavy. Um, distortion um, minor tonality or atonality you know um, discord and dissonance and you know the the vocals could be of several types right Um, so that's metal a lot and then death metal is just like the harder version of that that came around in I guess the '70s or '80s, and then it's like you know you got to where do you go after death metal? Well, then you have black metal, right? It's just one step further down the line. It's just, line. <laughs> it's just uh-huh. yeah, yeah, and, and then and then there were some people that after black metal came along, said, were saying that um there was a guy, and I, I don't want to like pull up start throwing out people's names or anything too much. Uh-huh. Um, there was another author in black metal theory, and he was one of the earl- earlier earlier. Po- Authors in that, and he was trying to propose um something called uh transcendental black metal. Mm. Um he he I think he was associated with this band called and black metal. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And so um if you read my stuff, I totally like I, I don't think I ever take issue with him specifically. I, I like his work in general. It's it's a good speculative essay. It's it's an interesting read. Um, mm. what is it? It's called all right, so I'm not going to criticize him too much. I just disagree with his notion of transcendental black metal. Uh, his name you is Stephen you Shakespeare. Will
0: only metals that can become the universal
1: metal law. Oh yeah, so there's there's the truest form of metal, essentially, right. and and so right. the numina of metal. To me, transcendental black metal takes a step away. It's <laughs> it, it it turns back. It says it says nah, let's not let's not go into the void. Let's not go into the abyss. Let's not you know, accept mm, that we mm. are powerless and accept that we are alone and accept that there is nothing for us. Right. Uh-huh. It turns back and says, no, let's try to. And this is where I kind of didn't follow him because uh, he had this notion of like a new kind of beat that like somehow affirmed life as opposed to denying it. And I don't know it's mm, mm, that, uh, you know, again, I didn't really follow him there, um, but again, I, nothing against him. He, he, and I, I never interacted with him directly. Uh, Black metal so, is inherently isolationist. so
0: <laughs> Inherently uh, not very life-affirming, it sounds like.
1: Uh, well, you would it argue. depends on who you ask. Um, so uh, I talk a lot about misanthropy uh, and the, an indifference to life and an indifference mm-hmm. to human life and an indifference to humanity. Uh, but this isn't to say that we should you know be hostile towards humanity right that's that would be fundamentally paradoxical mm-hmm. but we have to recognize that humanity doesn't hold a special place right it's we we can no more criticize ourselves for the impacts that we have had right then we can look at the you know the beaver that builds the dam Right now mm-hmm. we could say that we are conscious and we can make more decisions about and I would agree with that, right? But it's it's kind of is it, is it morally nihilistic, would you say? Right, right. So you to to have a moral, you're gonna have mm-hmm. to have some point of value, right? Mm-hmm. So you're gonna have to have something that you to against which you're gonna define that moral. Right. Mm-hmm. Um the, the moral has to lead you to some good. And then that yeah, good yeah, has there's, to there's have,
0: some good involved, yeah.
1: Right. And so you know, if if so like if let me stop for a second and what would you how would you define morality? Would you do it in terms of other people or would you do it in terms of like the greatest some greatest uh philosophical uh, concept?
0: Well, I do think there are objective moral truths, and I think that there's several of them, and they they compete with each other in a sense, so I think respecting autonomy is objectively good, and I think uh, reducing suffering is objectively good, promoting flourishing is objectively good, um, but these things can come into tension in various situations. That's how I understand morality. And so morality, our job is to try to figure out right and wrong, good and bad, and, and do them as best we can.
1: Right, so... I would. The easiest thing to point to as a universal good would be the minimization mm-hmm. of suffering, right? Mm-hmm. Um, death is unavoidable. The only way to avoid death is to never live, right? Um, if you are alive, you are going to die. There's right. no way around that. Even if you found some way to become immortal in the biological sense, right? You still, it's only it's a, it's a numbers game. And you could try to disseminate yourself um, amongst the universe, but eventually it all goes to nothing on a long enough timeline. Right. Um, Everyone's survival rate drops to zero. Right. Right. So then, so then, what what are we going to? So then, how are we going to define good if we can't guarantee life? Then let's say, well, let's make life as painless as possible. Right. We, We can try to talk about what is positive and what is good in life, but what is good for people or what is good for you know the environment, but we we could debate about what is good. What we can all pretty much agree on is what is bad. Right? Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody chooses to suffer instead of for for no reason. Right? We can mm-hmm. make sacrifices for a purpose. Right? I can say that you know I'm going to work really hard or I'm going to you know endure some form of suffering, but if there was an easier way to do that and it it didn't cheapen it in any way, that would just be stupid to suffer unnecessarily. -hmm. So I think I think is this, if we have to point to one thing that's universal, that's going to guide moral principles, it has to be the minimization of suffering Mm -hmm. for everyone as much as possible, to the greatest degree. Uh, So end up in
0: antinatalism? Is that where this is going?
1: Well, I like what I the way I would put it is so. From there, right, we can't we can't act based on a positive good, but we can say we can minimize the the negative. We, we, we can take negative actions to minimize the bad, mm-hmm. right? The things that we don't want. Everybody can agree that some things are just not universally, but to the great majority of people, terrible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so we minimize those things through action. And so with, in regards to the environment, I think our goal should be to minimize. We, we're not going to stop the environment from changing. This is an issue with some uh, overly, I guess, idealistic models of conservation. Um, you know, the environment changes with or without people. People are a thing in, that exists now that are changing the environment rapidly, right? And now we could say that people have consciousness and that they have agency to make decisions. But we certainly do don't see them acting in that manner on a long timeline in the interest of the environment right they only seem to act in the interest of humans mm. and i think that that's not uncommon right that's not that is not a criticism of humans right we can try to be conscious of the environment we can try to be but but we we are what we are we we evolved to be egoistic we evolved to you know care for ourselves and our genetic lineage um,
0: so, does black metal is the, I'm trying to tie this back to the philosophy of black metal a little bit here. Was this that the the philosophy is itself sort of just pessimistic because of uh, these kind of assumptions about the nature of life and death and suffering?
1: Somewhat. So, the pessimism. If if we're going to talk about that, we we need to define that term and and kind of distinguish it from, I guess, what a popular notion of pessimism would be. So, in the popular sense, we would somebody who's pessimistic is always just like you know maybe depressed or negative or always complains a lot. But in the, in the philosophical sense, in the Schopenhauerian sense, the pessimism is the is is negativity, right? It's it's it kind of it. If we if we take Schopenhauer's word and update it um, with you know now, you know many many philosophers we can stand on much taller shoulders right um at this mm-hmm. point i I, re- I would point to Karl popper as formulating it more more distinctly in in the concept of falsification right we can the pessimism the negativity the falsification is this concept that we can only move forward through negative action there can't you can't define anything as positive Right? There's, no, there's, no posi- there's no frame of reference from which you can fundamentally say something is positive and therefore an object of moral value. All you can ever point to is the negative. You can say that this thing is a bad thing. I want to minimize it. And so I want to act in the sense that is negative. I want to act in the sense that reduces that thing. And in the same sense, in the epistemic sense, right, we can only know things through negativity. Right, We can, we can present a positive claim but we can never know the truth of that claim. All we can do is fail to falsify it by our present means. And this yeah. is why science is the only method we have to learn, right?
0: I'm uh, I'm a little skeptical on that. I'm, I'm a little skeptical on, I mean, I, I get where you're going in a kind of negative ethics sense of, um, you know, maybe it's better to focus on reducing suffering than trying to promote flourishing, especially if flourishing means different things for, lots of different people, but I don't think it follows necessarily that um, our, our ethics should be determined entirely by the negative and that there, that we can say sort of nothing of value about what is sort of good objectively in this world for beings shaped in in ways like us. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not 100% convinced that you can use sort of the falsification kind of stuff. Like I think, that certainly leads me to think that, you know, ethics is not done in the way that science is done, but not that ethics therefore can't, we can't have sort of knowledge about ethics that is both positive and not merely sort of negative, or is it merely just uh, sort of the weaker of intuitions or something like that? So does that make
1: sense? I think so. Uh, the issue I have with defining something as a, a positive foundation of your ethics is its is its universal um positive value right so what 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 are we going to hold up as as the good right and so we could say that human life in general is good and i would agree i would say that you know regardless of of what i say about misanthropy and what what i say about being negative i you know i am a human and i exist in western civilization like i i enjoy many luxuries you know i'm not going to just like Mm -hmm. sit here and enjoy these things and then say that it's all bad. Right. But what I, but what I'm going to say is that the things that I think are good that I personally w- might point to and say, look, these are, w- these are positive things that are going to motivate my actions as, as a, as humanity, right. We, we can't do that same thing. When, when people have tried to do that, right. That leads them down pretty dark paths, right. People can go get confused.
0: Poorly. I mean, I think it's you can say, look, people have given bad accounts, po- bad positive accounts of what leading a good life is, but I don't think we should necessarily then stop trying to give good accounts of what it means to lead a good life. So, like for example, you know, if I if I have two buttons and one of them, you know, if I press it, it takes away all of your negative suffering. Um, and another one, I press it, it takes away all of your negative suffering and, it puts the right things in, in your path so that you can grow and flourish. However you define that as well as possible over the course of your life, we would clearly want the second button over the first one um, because there are those positive kinds of values. And I don't think that it it's completely impossible for us to get to some knowledge about, what those positive things could look like and how we could like education, for example, like we've learned that a good life is a life that involves education. And that's why we try to make education a universal right for everyone.
1: Right. So I agree with what you're saying, but then I'm going to say, but we've defined education a certain way, right? We're saying that we're going to teach, take the kids into school or we're going to take them into an educational environment or, or, or with maybe they are just provided education from their parents somewhere, you know, whatever. Um, th- that education, what those ch- children received is going to be determined by their cultural context, Right. So what while in America it might be pretty easy to look point to education and say you know education is good in this sense i can equal, just easily point to places in the world where education does not serve the same purpose right education is really indoctrination and they could point that same finger back at us Right. They could say that, no, we're just indoctrinating people into our Western liberal. Right.
0: But I think there's a fact of the matter. Like if you're being taught evolution, you're being less indoctrinated than if you're being taught creationism. Like if by by indoctrination we mean being habituated into false beliefs through sophistry style tactics, then like there are better and worse educations and a good education is part of a healthy life and indoctrination is... It seems like the opposite.
1: I agree with what you're saying. The, the mm-hmm. indoctrination is, should be defined somewhat as the opposite of education. If not, if not ignorance, maybe ignorance being the opposite of education. Um, but uh, yeah, so I would say that they're, they're educating in bad faith, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're claiming to educate, um, but really they're just presenting a singular worldview uh, to these people that they may truly believe in right now. We got it. We got to back it up. I, I, I I said that it was in bad faith because to mm-hmm. me, it seems like how could it not be the mm-hmm. way people um, will serve themselves using the cultural abilities mm-hmm. that they have, you know, just, I mean, just look at the subjugation of pe- one person by another. And, you know, we, examples are throughout history and, and it's still ongoing, uh, you know, and, and a lot of that is just done through cultural manipulation. And, and so we really have to say, well, if we're going to say, it, how are we going to say what kind of education is good?
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: would say a, a good education is one that gives you an understanding that enables you to minimize suffering. <laughs> right? You're not going to ever get. I, I, I can point to things that I think are good. Right? I can say that I think that education is good. Like I, you know, I went to school and I studied lots of things, and um, you know, now I do environmental work, environmental research. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like all those things and, uh, you know, um, I'm happy to work in those fields, but are they good? Right. Are they yeah, moral good?
0: Just, I mean, I, I feel like if you're going to be an objectivist about negative moral, like moral bads, then I feel like you're going to ultimately like at, at some point the, the distinction between positive and negative becomes somewhat arbitrary because like, the absence of suffering or like positive actions that, that reduce suffering are also actions that can like promote benefits in a variety of kinds of ways. So like, I, I think maybe this becomes, um, muddied, but, uh, I it, think, it I think we've sort of gotten a little bit off track anyway, which we is have, fine. Uh, which is fine. Um, but I wanted to maybe draw us back to our main discussion a little bit, because you mentioned there that you do work now in, um, environmental stuff. Um, and I, I also actually before we forget to the end of it i actually was curious you mentioned i think also that you lost interest in black metal i was wondering if you could just say a little bit quickly about like why you feel like you lost interest in that sum
1: i just get sick of stuff after a while okay. um <laughs> I'll, you know let, not like right. a philo-
0: philosophical falling out or anything
1: no i still like so if you um read the victim of your dreams paper i would mm-hmm. stand by everything i've I've written there, you know, I might word it differently now, or I might um, choose maybe some different points of reference, but as just like a, a summary of my criticism of moral philosophy mm-hmm. that there, that's it. I mean, I, and, and I've never had an answer to like the, I've, well, I mean, I seek, right. I, that, again, it's a ne it's an inherently negative argument. Mm-hmm. It, I'm basically just breaking something down and I'm not giving you anything to replace it really. Um, Fair enough.
0: Um I'm curious also. And, and, and I don't
1: and again that goes back to you know, what what are we gonna do to 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 construct that system on, right? And that's where I come back that's the only thing I can ever come back to is like, well, if, if we're if it's something that's gonna be universal, right, then it should just be something that makes everybody not be in pain as much as possible. That's just like the one thing that's
0: easy to I certainly think that reducing suffering is one objective moral uh foundation that we have to pay attention. Yeah. Too, at least so i think we can at least agree on that um if, if someone who had never listened to metal before wanted to like try black metal a little bit what, what would be the like easiest band you think that you could ease people into this with
1: Um uh, there's no really easing your no? way okay. in too much uh so start with mayhem that's like the most quintessential band if we go back to what i was talking about with the history you had um the death of dead Right. And I I just word it that way because it always stands out in my brain. I don't know. Um, Mm. Let me take one second to apologize to the void. I'm I'm not a very good public speaker and uh, I do not speak on behalf of my agency. Uh, I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm shooting the breeze with Aaron right now. Um, So we're talking about philosophical concepts. Well, I'm happy to just talk about my work for Mm -hmm. um, the state environmental agency and talk about my research and stuff my the the philosophical discussion we're having while not unrelated it, it's it in no way represents like the opinions of the agency and i'm not yeah. claiming to do so in any way
0: so the agency I have not been authorized to speak on their behalf. Should start with Mayhem, is what you're saying? <laughs> no, 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 they yeah, exactly. You start with exactly. like venom is, or something. It
1: is not the opinion of the state government that people should begin their um, education in black metal with okay. the band of Mayhem. That, that's
0: good to know. Uh, I'm glad that your opinions are your own on this front.
1: Yeah, so so Mayhem's definitely the most central one out of Norway. Um, then, if I was to point to the next one. Which would be really controversial. I would say you you can't really discuss Mayhem much without talking about Burzum. Um Burzum was uh a, a single man project um mm-hmm. started by a session bassist uh with mayhem. After so after Dead committed suicide, the the um the bassist that had been with the band left for a while and they got a, a new guy to come in. And mm-hmm. that guy's name was uh well, his name was originally Christian Vikernes, and then he later had it changed to Varg Vikernes. And you, I mean, all this history can be found. It's, it's all out there, it's all on uh, Wikipedia. Uh-huh. And there's a recent documentary that appreciate that, that you Hulu. bring this
0: streak, this, this cred, though, and yeah. detail. So,
1: so and, and I, you know, I'm not affiliated with any of these people in any way, except for I've contacted some of them indirectly over the years just to like get, request permission to use their work in, in, in the paper or something. Uh-huh. Um, but, Fair uh, enough. So anyways, so he left the band and then uh, Varg came in and he was the bassist for Mayhem for like one album and supposedly they even like took him off the album that he's on. Um, but I think that they, the, the general consensus is now that they just turned his bass lines down. <laughs> uh, but because he murdered the other front man for the band um, over the the reasons are... are could be disputed or debatable. Um, Would you he, say the average
0: de- death rate amongst um, black metal is higher or lower than other genres?
1: The violent death rate is higher. Violent death uh, rate is higher. Okay. The, 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 but just the death rate, I don't know if it's any higher. Well, and when you compare it to, like, you know, in America, I mean, we have a lot more violence per capita than sure. they do in Norway. So the, these are, as, as extreme as all this sounds, to us, imagine how it, it was in Norway at the time. I mean, this is a relatively small country, relatively, you know, Maybe they're I- reacting isolated. to having
0: that much niceness all around them. Just maybe. Too much, uh, too much civility. Um, maybe. All right. So that was that's very fascinating. But I do want to try to get a little bit to talking about your environmental stuff before we... We've run out of time. So um, do you want to explain maybe in like the the vaguest of terms that you need it to be um, to not get in trouble uh, what it is that you do on a sort of day-to-day work-like basis? Uh,
1: it, to sum, to summarize it uh, succinctly, I do uh, emergency management for uh uh like chemical spills and uh oil spills kind of things like that um a lot of like, a lot of the stuff we do is just traffic collisions and relatively minor stuff that we just kind of coordinate the responses with um with a variety of agencies and private um companies and stuff just to um basically get the road cleaned up or get the facility make sure nobody's going to get hurt you know that that's always my first goal is public safety hum- you know human life and safety and then, then we can start to talk about property and animals and, you know, make it. But uh, while I, it seems like I might have a great issue with um, finding good things to do, I guess, in my day-to-day work. You know, if I'm just, my goal is to minimize suffering, then I'm really in a pretty good place, I guess. So,
0: yeah, so like, so you manage like cleanup for, you say like accidents. Is there like right, a right. lot of environmental cleanup that has to, like, are we talking about like when cars get in car accidents, like like, like trailers? Uh, what what size vehicle has to be involved before you're called
1: in to uh, to assess the um environmental damages? See, that's the thing; it can be anything and everything. We we mm-hmm. get we get just irate people calling us about nothing, and we get um really really serious incidents that require our long term deployment. And so, um, and when I say they call us about nothing, I don't say that to minimize like the insignificance. Uh, it, certainly I encourage people to contact their government agencies uh for for whatever reason. Um it's just like, but if they call when I say they call us about nothing, like they might have the wrong number. Or, you know, they might um it might be a very small scale incident that we can just advise them over the phone um mm-hmm. of the cleanup. Or, or, you know, it's just they're, they're making the report and they're just filling out paperwork and we, we will have somebody follow up with them. But, uh, you know, there's not really much for us to do there besides just make sure that they do what they say they're going to do is in cleaning up their oil or um, cleaning up any contaminants. But the issue is, um, you know, we can we can address these individual incidents pretty well as a society, I would say. Mm-hmm. But the problem is just the. The background of contamination that's everywhere. Right. Like the when we talk, when we, when we turn to like the environmental issues that face us as a society. Right. Mm-hmm. It's usually not these individual incidents. It's not this oil spill or this chemical release. The, the Those could have very, very important significant consequences um for one incident but what's really threatening to like human civilization or or just like our our, st- our stability and security and comfort in our human civilization is the the growing just like contamination and and human i guess for lack of a better word perversion of the environment mm-hmm. but then that's but by saying that like i kind of am making they're a moral judgment, right? I'm saying that humans are having a, a poor impact on the environment that's causing it to change. And I don't really, that that I feel like is a misstep. You know, humans affect the environment, yes, and they might be causing the environment to change rapidly, yes. And if that results in suffering, then that is something that we should try to address. But I don't, th- I think that it's a lose, it's, it's a lost cause to try to prevent the environment from changing right? You, you, you're not going to win that battle. You're going to, uh, there's certainly not going to be, I don't see any evidence that we're taking. Reduce the rate at which it's
0: changed. Exactly. Though, right. And exactly. that could be good. Exactly. And you could, and you could change exactly. it in potentially better or worse ways. It seems like.
1: Right. So we need to, for, if, if humans have any moral agency and we have any ability to, to take action, right. Then our goal needs to be, to just manage this change, right? Let's go ahead and accept what changes are going to happen or, or, you know, use research to try to predict what variables are going to change and then take action, you know, to when those changes occur, we're prepared. But it seems like we just always react to these things and we just are caught off guard all the time by these large scale incidents of, um, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the weather incidents, the Australia is like mm-hmm. on fire now and. You know, there's always fires and earthquakes. I mean, it just sounds like the world's coming to an end. And is our what's our impact there? Is in climate change, there's we have great impact. There's I don't think there's any question there. And the contamination of the environment, it I mean, we organisms contaminate their environment. I don't think it's fair to say that we are doing a necessarily bad thing by putting substances out there. The so question it's a matter is, of
0: degrees there, it seems like, right? Like right. We have no way to predict your environment.
1: Right. And we have we just don't know what the long term consequences are. And I don't want to be some big like fear monger that says, oh, you know, the the chemical companies are out to get you They're They're just I mean, they're just selling you the stuff you want to buy. It's you know, it's not.
0: Well, so I mean, what do you think are some concrete near and medium term consequences that you think we're likely to see as a result of um, the sustained contamination of the environment?
1: You know, it's kind of, it's kind of, to me, it's just so ubiquitous. It's almost hard to point to things, right? So you can, I have trouble pointing to an example that's not been perverted by human society, right? So like, you can point to the most pristine of environments and say that these places are free from any human interference, right? But they're, they're pretty minor and like, they're, they're pretty, they're they're maintained now only by human interference, in most cases, right? We designate these places as like sanctuaries or as uh, national parks or national reserves or whatever. We we try to protect things that you know we think have value. But you know that. But in, and, and I and I have I take no issue with that. I love the national parks. <laughs> I'm not here to try to criticize that either. I'm not here to really criticize anything. That's the thing. It's it's just a speculative philosophical thought, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: so you feel like it's hard to put a – I mean like here, if I put it another way, right, do you feel like there's things that I enjoy in my life right now living in a developed country that like 20 years from now will be, if not sort of impossible to get access to, will be very rare or will be considered sort of absurd that we had this level of access to it at this particular point?
1: If we look back 20 years in the past – Um, you know, you can see some things that have changed and it's mostly changes of degree. Uh, The prices have changed and some things have become rarer. If we look, so the things that I've heard about or that I've read about changing in the near future, um, the bees are having a lot of trouble. The bee populations, there's colony collapse syndrome. And while that may not sound super consequential, the bees are conduct the pollination for most of our well, I mean, basically all the flowering plants—not not all, but the majority of the flowering plants that you know we we make use of, that human societies uh, use for food and sustenance. um So, you know, the, any significant change to the bees is likely to result in problems for us. They uh, there's a whole st- the the common banana that you just walk into like a North American store and purchase, mm-hmm. right? That's that's probably going out pretty soon, um, due to the um evolution of super
0: mm-hmm. uh pesticide resistant
1: yeah. <laughs> disease um, the what I think is it the Cavendish banana I don't know you know mm-hmm. so there's I mean there's other things but for in America now no, just roll it back one second in America we probably won't experience that much change as a society in the next 20 years what will happen is individuals will just have their lives destroyed repeatedly over and over and over again right it'll be like uh um, it won't be like it won't be like all of our cars will stop running. It'll just be your city gets taken out by the next hurricane, right? Mm-hmm. Or it won't be that, you know, you can't have TV anymore. It'll just be uh this huge percentage of this forest burned down, you know, or it, it
0: so what then do you feel like are the better methods, they're the right methods, or or do you feel like there are better or worse methods for trying to communicate and and engage people on these particular kinds of issues. So there's like debate over, you know, whether we should use kind of non-threatening incrementalist language to talk about climate um, versus, you know, catastrophic large scale problems requiring catastrophic large scale change. Do you have a feeling sort of one way or the other about uh, what works better or do you feel like nothing really works
1: very well? I don't know. Uh, I don't see any program taking on enough taking enough action to really mediate the change very much um so like what in what what i try to do in my own work is i've been trying to uh develop like certain redundancies of systems so that when if there is some large-scale disaster event right we are more equipped to handle the outcome of that and help people in the aftermath of that, because they're, they're common, right? The large scale weather events they're they already hit us pretty frequently. Um, we, we get a pass every year or two, but uh, they, mm-hmm. they, they certainly, the super storms and the, the, the catastrophic incidents are not, they're not thing of legend anymore. Right. Um, you can call it a, you can call it a, what a, what a thousand year flood, uh, water level but when you hit that like 3 or 4 years in a row it's kind of starts to seem like you've defined your term incorrectly mm-hmm. um uh, so uh you know maybe we should as humans should start to consider um relocating uh and i that is probably the best long-term strategy i could give to any like group of people or moving any moving. individual really it's just yeah it's, like think about how can you minimize your susceptibility to these things. And so, yeah, move inland, um, don't live, don't move somewhere that's in the floodplain. Don't live somewhere, you know, that, yeah, um, I, it's not that hard to try to track down like, uh, like flood maps for where you live. And, um, you can, you know, see like, what is the case when, if we get that thousand year flood or if, like some, some dam breaks or something, you know, you, these are things that it's worthwhile to take time and research, um, I'm mm-hmm. not it's not something that people need to live in fear of necessarily, but you know it, it if you can anticipate the risk, now the question is, how much time should you invest in managing that that risk? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that that's something that people just have to decide for themselves. And I wish that we I wish that we saw a little bit more action from the government um a little bit more proactive. I don't want to I'm not gonna like. I don't want to go into like criticizing anybody in specific or anything, but, and then that's not the purpose of what we're talking about anyways. Uh, but, you know, I think that in general, the government, if they, if we, if we're, they're going to take action, they should just be, yeah, protecting the people. But at the same time, they should not allow it, There's encourage people to move into places that are susceptible to obliteration. Right. So we, if the if if you build your resort on the coast and it gets annihilated by a storm that was entirely predictable i mean that you, you, it's going to get annihilated eventually right there's there's no way around that i mean you can build the levees you can do you can build you can build and build and build but mother nature you know t- time's going to take its toll um, mm-hmm. unless unless humans are just going to upkeep some structure forever we'll eventually Pull it down ourselves um and so then when we pull it down then so that's the best way for it to happen right we pull down the structures ourselves our old buildings get demolished or we people move out of them and they're abandoned and then they just fall to nothing and then and and, and then we move forward and then that minimizes the suffering right nobody's business was destroyed nobody's home was destroyed and so i would just hope that as a society or as, as i guess a species humans can kind of anticipate that in the future and say oh well you know I get that there's a really nice house there near the coast, but maybe that's just not the best idea to to live there. Maybe that's not the best. Maybe I'll just go visit there.
0: (laughs) In keeping with this, then, do you think that we have a strong moral obligation to take in climate refugees if people, if certain areas like countrywide become fairly inhospitable? Is it the obligation of other countries to find a space for those people as they move away from those hostile territories?
1: Well, I, I'll, I know that the Pentagon will tell you that climate change is like the number one threat to national security because of the, um, not necessarily be- solely because of climate migration, but just because of the unpredictability of like all these variations. And I think that we're at some point we're not going to have a choice, right? You're going to have so many people needing to migrate away from the extreme weather areas, the areas of extreme climate and um, extreme heat, uh, extreme cold.
0: Um, so let me ask you another question. Um, since we've been talking a lot about human centric harm, um, you know, I've been prepping for my environmental ethics course. Um, and I guess I'm curious broadly speaking, like what you think I should be trying to teach environmental ethics students at this point, given all of the things that you've said here. Um, but also, like, do you think that we should spend any time at this point being concerned about non human entities? Or, like, is it like if we're barely able to help the well being of human entities, like, is it hard to put any energy towards non-human entities?
1: You know, we like the, we like the the entities that we see ourselves in. So it's easy to say like, Oh, we need to save the polar bears. And I, I agree. We should save the polar bears. I like the polar bears, but um, you know, but then, then you hear like, Oh, there's like a hundred species going extinct a day. It's like the polar bears are just one of those.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: it would be tragic if we lost the polar bears, do not get me wrong on that, mm-hmm. but but that tragedy is just ongoing all the time. Like we we lose species faster than we can classify them now, um, and so it it could be you could when you look at all the, when you look at the evidence right there's you could it looks very bleak sometimes, but I don't know. I, I think that it's only bleak from a certain perspective or reference right it's only bleak from the perspective like you don't you want to resist change i think if you can anticipate the change and and act accordingly then Mm -hmm. you know that that that's your one power as a human that will separate you from those animals that hopefully you will have the ability to care for i mean i agree i think the animals certainly we should try to take care of other species um i think that humans have the unique ability to shape the world with intent right so the the beaver can build the dam but and, and but he's just doing that to get the end of the he can't
0: he can't he can't act according to a moral law for example
1: <laughs> right right exactly he can't uh-huh. he can't comprehend the the greater scale of the the greater effects impacts of his behavior right the beaver can't he has, doesn't have the awareness of the impact of the dam on the rest of the ecosystem. But we do have that awareness, or at least we do now, right? We can look at that beaver and say, hey, beaver, you know, you built that dam and that's cool and all. But um, that's really going to strangle these, I don't know, wolves or something downstream. You know how that goes. You can, you can never predict. It's, it's very chaotic, and which is why it's somewhat difficult to, to find a path forward, I think, a lot of times in environmentalism oh um, yeah, because gonna, it is so complicated
0: yeah i was going to ask um you know if you if we could um give you substantial control and power in in the world what if anything would you feel comfortable in terms of changes that you would try to enact um that might you know get things more back on track or or if you feel like it's not even worth sort of contemplating what you would do in terms of large scale changes uh, if you feel like there's just no way to have sufficient knowledge
1: about the downstream effects. So the the answer, I think, is really, really simple. If you just think about like um, resources mathematically, um, you know, the Earth can only cycle resources at a certain rate for us to use. We can increase that rate some with technology, and we've done pretty well with that. I'd say that's the great success of of human civilization is our, our technological our development of technology and our ability to extract more and more resources and things out of the environment around us. Um and mm-hmm. our ability to change the environment in a manner that suits us. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't I don't think you have to take any particular action other than reducing human population density but you don't have to do anything like tyrannical or terrible to do that right we can Mm -hmm. say that look there's already people starving throughout the world and there's already people suffering throughout the world um this goes back to my definition of moral you know the the one moral principle that i can point to um so you know we can try to minimize that for those people but eventually we're going to run out of money and food so we can't Keep everybody from starving. So then humans have, are, are, you know, one of the few species that have the ability to say, all right, well, what can we do about that? How can we make sure that there's not too many people? Right. And so then that's mm-hmm. easy. We just reduce the rate at which people are produced. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't have to like take action and like harm anybody. No, we can still try to take care of everybody that's alive now and that will be alive in the future. But I think we should just maybe, it would be nice if there was more thought given to that especially considering you know in in the western world the 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 level of luxury that we enjoy it, to, to sustain our lifestyle you know you, you would have to have a population of orders of magnitude smaller um, to sustain mm-hmm. our, our lifestyle given the current technology there's always i guess the hope that we can engineer our way out of all of our problems and mm-hmm. again i would say that humans have been really good at that our history is really positive in that sense uh, but you know it it doesn't mean it's always going to be that way and then certainly we have suffered great catastrophe in the past right at, mm-hmm. even at our own hands if we fail to think critically about our actions right whatever actions we take if we don't stop and really think critically about what the long-term impacts of that might be um mm-hmm. i think th- th- then we we deserve the world that we inherit that we get from that uh you know, that's it's fair. it's hard to it's hard to say that
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying, I think.
1: What what you know, what do you, what do you do? Uh, you want to you you want to be angry because like you see the world changing so rapidly, but then at the same time it's like, well, why am I angry? Cuz I like things in the world the way they are, I guess. But then or because it seems like
0: in, injustices will come about as a result of this rapid change.
1: Yeah, that and so that's the way I can universalize the principles and not make it purely egoistic and about me. Is if I can say, you know, if if there's one thing that I know I wish, what would want somebody to do for me, it would be to take away pain, right? If I'm experiencing pain, right? So, you know, I think that that's pretty generalizable. Um, And so that would go, and the reason I got on that in the beginning was um, going back to the paper uh, with Schopenhauer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) See, we got off on a huge tangent there Um, (laughs) with Schopenhauer and pessimism. And so Schopenhauer would argue, he, you know, he argues, I think, very, Um. well that there's there is no we can all point to things that we claim are good but what the essence of those things is is the the removal or the temporary um, distraction from just ongoing suffering that the condition Mm -hmm. of life is to suffer right Mm -hmm. you live therefore you will suffer and all you can do then you can never satisfy your hunger all you can do is you know temporarily alleviate yourself from it but it returns right it's not it's not mm. ever it's not ever satisfied forever until you you know you you reach the finality of your grave right then right. then then your hunger is complete because you cannot hunger anymore well, um that's
0: probably uh that's probably a sufficiently voidy and black metal yeah. point for us to wrap up on there perhaps but you still do have to go through the lightning round, as much as I sympathize with you. Oh, no. You have to suffer like oh, everyone the suffers. Lightning round. Yep. So, for folks who've not listened before, who aren't familiar, um, at the end of every show, I have to ask the guest um, a series of things, and they get to tell me whether those things are real or not real. Um, they don't get to define what that means, they don't get to hedge halfway through. Um, and that's, that's pretty much the game. You, you ready to go? no good um the first thing i have to of course ask you to to make to get you primed properly for this do you think that anything is real <sighs> yes okay so some things are real so we're gonna see if we can find out what they are mm. okay here we go is the external world real
1: yes Shoot from the hip
0: here all right there you go colors all
1: right, all right.
0: yes okay phenomenal consciousness Yes. Free will? No. Mm, Selves? No. Genders? No. Races? No. Species? Yes. Mm, Interesting. Morality? Yes. Rights? No. Knowledge? Yes. Gods? No. Society? Yes. Numbers? Yes. Fictional characters? No. Holes? Oh.
1: (laughs) No. Okay. Chairs? Mm, I don't like chairs. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yes, chairs are real. We'll take that. Okay, So they're real, but you don't like them. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sandwiches.
1: Mm, sandwiches are real.
0: Science.
1: Science is real.
0: Natural laws. Mm. Not real. Beauty. Mm. Real. Causality. Real. And finally, Dharma's. Not real. All right, you survived. No,
1: I did not.
0: No, you're not happy with those choices?
1: Uh, I'm not happy. You're not happy <laughs> at all. I, I apologize that this has not been the most pleasurable experience. Oh, for me. this has been really hard. Uh, i Thanks for talking to me. I really appreciate your time. Um, no, you've been great.
0: It's been fun. It's it's been good. These are voidy topics, and so it's it's never easy to wade through them. Do you want to let folks know? I guess you're not trying to let folks know where, you, where your agency is. Um, but is there any other place that you like? You might want folks to find your work or anything like
1: that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to hide. Again, I'll mention that you know I, I don't speak on behalf of my agency for obvious reasons. I'm not a very good public speaker. Um, I I really. Work with uh, science and a lot of numbers and computers and stuff. And that's really where a lot of my day to day work ends up. And, uh, anyways, mm-hmm. uh, but if you want, if I had to plug something, I guess I would, I do have, um, I've been developing uh, some stuff under the name Blue, And so if you pull that up, um, you know, there's a variety of different things under there that you can find. I've been trying, I've Got one iOS game that I released like two years ago, and I've been working on another one, but I've kind of had like mental block or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. On the enough. other one, so that's cool. Seems like everything's just been very chaotic.
0: Yeah, oh, it is the chaos is the true nature of the universe. So,
1: man, the, if if this isn't the darkest timeline, <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell me that. <laughs> oh, it. man,
0: all right. Well, thanks, Jesse. Thanks for coming and chatting. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks a bunch. You too.
0: I want to give an extra special start to a new Voidy year thanks to all our listeners and patrons out there. I feel so lucky every day that I get to do this passion project and share it with y'all, and your support makes it all possible. Uh, We've got several new patrons this month who I wanted to give a shout out to, so thanks to Trilobite Tark, thanks to Jonathan Yance Jones. Thanks to Joel Nield, and thanks to Jason Lee Baez, who's going to hopefully be a guest on the show in the near future. Um, Thank you all so much for joining, and um, as always, I want to give very special thanks to our $20 tier patrons, Jude Law, Jude Law's Canadian accent in Existence makes my pussy throb, Good Morning Camp Quest, Gimme Those Sweet Sweet Utils and jesse rabinowitz and brenda goodman and of course as always extra top of the tier thanks to our uh longest most so long-term biggest supporter dave Maslich. i really genuinely do appreciate all y'all thank you so so much um if you'd like to support the show Please leave us a five-star rating or a review on a podcast app near you. Uh, follow us on Twitter at ETV Pods. Um, and if you do notice yourself looking forward to these episodes each week, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com/slash embrace the void. It's just four dollars a month, and you get our bonus book club content. Um, and most importantly, remember, you are the void, and the void is you.